seconds of the game. St George, Illawarra to the death, trying. Brown goes to the air. Going back is Mabel. Oh, sleeping high and taking it in marvellous fashion with Rod Wishart. He has scored an incredible try that ties this small game up. Bartram from 18 metres out. He strikes it nicely. St George Illawarra win for the first time in their Premiership lives. Here's Nathan Blacklock down the sideline. Chipping over the top of John Kane. Got a red surface bounce to win the game for the Dragons. And book himself a New South Wales Blues origin jumper. Good evening, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Red V Podcast. The off-season continues to rumble itself along, but we continue to keep you updated about everything that's happening at the St. George Illawarra Dragons. I'm your host, uh, Jack Clifton. I've got another co-host tonight. We're certainly rotating through them here at the Red V Podcast. He's a familiar name in Luke Potter, former NRL referee and a massive Dragons fan that's uh, done a fair bit of work um, down there at ground level for the Dragons and being involved with their reserve grade side. There's not too many uh, more passionate Dragons fans, especially down in the Illawarra than Luke Potter. We'll get to Luke uh, in just a moment. Uh, in tonight's episode of the podcast, we're going to update you on what's happening. Uh, latest Dragons news. There's been a couple of signings for both the Dragons NRL squad, but also the NRLW squad with their season set to start in February. We'll play part one of our special chat with Russell Cox. Russell is probably a name that's remembered by uh, some of the older St. George fans or Dragons fans that are around, and I really hope uh, that you um, enjoy the uh, the great yarn we had with uh, with Russell. He played in the 1971 Grand Final for St George. St George were coached by Jack Gibson back then, but he also played in the 1975 Decider against Eastern Suburbs and uh, got a premiership ring in 1977, being part of that 1977 squad that uh, famously won uh, the Grand Final replay against Parramatta. He's got some great stories, Russell. He, uh, he likes to talk and he loves to talk about the Mighty Dragons, so looking forward to playing part one of that for you a little bit later. And we'll also tackle your fans questions to finish off uh, episode number 94. As I mentioned, another week, another co-host here at the Red V Podcast, uh, Johnny Pett, unfortunately, uh, spending a fair bit of time underground during the off-season, and I don't mean uh, that as a saying, he literally is underground with his workers uh, in in the mining region, uh, particularly down there in the south of New South Wales. So unfortunately, Johnny couldn't make it tonight, but we've got another deputy lining himself up. He's been performing well in reserve grade over the last couple of weeks, and that's Luke Potter. Potsy, great to be chatting Dragon footy with us uh, with your mate and thanks again for jumping on the red v podcast at such short notice yeah jack fantastic to be back on board again mate and uh, yeah what a day it's been today too old melbourne cup day and i hope some of our uh, red v fans got on the ve the very elegant uh james mcdonald steered that one home this afternoon for 18 dollars. so hopefully we've got some happy red v fans this afternoon off the back of that and i also can confirm that uh our good friend Johnny Pett is doing well. I spoke to him on the phone the other day. So, yes, working hard underground as a miner. Good on him, Johnny Pett. You threw a couple of bets on this afternoon, Potsy. You were telling me off air you came out about even. That's uh, You can't complain about that, I guess. <laughs> no, always a good good day on the pun, isn't it, when you can come out square, even better if you can make a few dollars. Unfortunately, I, I didn't get on the, the very elegant. But, um, yeah, as I said, I hope a few others did pay an $18. It's a, mm. a nice little winner this afternoon. So congratulations, James McDonald and Chris Waller. What a combination they've been uh, so far this year as well. It was a fantastic ride. And, um, yeah, all good things coming towards the very elegant. 
Well, there isn't much dragons or there isn't much rugby league news around at the moment. Uh, summer sports such as uh, as horse racing and cricket and tennis and everything is uh, seems to be kind of in our subconscious. But there's still plenty of news about the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons. So let's uh, wrap up your dragons news and updates for this week. First cab off the rank with your Dragons news is a couple of signings for the Dragons first grade squad. Most of these were announced last week just after recording of the podcast. So we weren't able to bring them to you. So probably not uh, breaking news, but a couple of uh, decent signings here for the Dragons. Uh, the first of uh, that uh, those news is a train and trial deal uh, for Jack Williams. So Jack Williams is uh, famously the grandson of Reg Gaznier. Um, he's uh, had a, he actually picked up a bit of an injury against the Dragons last year in that trial where Eddie Blacker unfortunately uh, inadvertently uh, struck him in the throat with an elbow. It, me- um, it meant that he was out for about six weeks, but he's um, naturally a 5'8 and, and halfback. He was training with the Sharkies uh, in that number nine role and has been spending a fair bit of time um, playing in that reserve grade system with uh, with the Newtown Jets. So a nice little signing there for the Dragons um, and uh, yeah, we'll see how he gets on in preseason training. We know the depth in that number nine position probably isn't where the Dragons want it, especially so with Tyron Wishard and Billy Britton both are kind of moving on uh, at the end of 2021. So I think a smart signing there by the Red V. And to go alongside uh, that is a train and trial for Michael Molo, who's the uh, the brother of Frankie Molo. Those who are watching the uh, QRL Grand Final, he was a uh, man of the match a performance uh, up there in Queensland with uh, the North Devils, I believe, as the side that uh, he was playing with um, up there. So uh, another smart little signing um, there for uh, the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Potsy, these train and trials don't always work out. They don't always lead to someone making it into that first grade squad, but a couple of, uh, I guess, roughies. You want to talk about horse racing and betting and that kind of stuff. There's a few roughies that the Dragons uh, might uh, it might work out in their favour in coming months as we focus in on the preseason. Yeah, I don't mind these train and trial contracts. I think they're great. Really puts the onus back on the on the player that they really need to rip in over that that preseason and uh, the trials that that come with it as well to try and prove their worth to the to the team and the club. And I like both of these here, Jack Williams, um, Group 16 rugby league player. I love these players that come out of the Group 16 competition. Real tough, strong country rugby league players. So, uh, yeah, young Jack, he's from the Cooma Colts. He was actually the NYC Player of the Year for the Canberra Raiders in 2016. Mm. And, yeah, as you said, he's a bit of a half five eight, but... Coach Anthony Griffin has alluded to the fact that he's going to train him up at hooker. Potsy, in regards to that signing of, of Michael Molo, he's a, he's a big bopper. We saw how destructive he was in that, that Queensland Cup grand final. And you throw that in with George Burgess, who we'll speak about in just a moment, and a few of those other uh, bodies in that Dragon side, Jaden Sewer, uh, coming in as one of the new signings. There is no uh, replacement or, uh, I guess, anything else in regards to if you can get that size out there, uh, you're really going to be able to challenge some of these sides in the NRL. Yeah, you're certainly right. We need that punch up front, don't we? we uh, we've had that loss now at the Dragons with Paul Vaughan, obviously moving across to the Bulldogs. And look, I thought Blake Laurie did a job during the year, but he certainly needs some some help up front as well. I actually ran into Blake uh, a few days ago down there at North Beach and uh, he ran me through his broken hand story and how it's coming along. And look, he, he seems to be going really well. And I think he's become a bit of a leader there, not only amongst the forwards, but I guess the rest of the club as well. He, he's been there for a a while now, but yeah, look, Blake needs some help up front and maybe Michael Molo might be one of those to do it because uh, obviously that's where we're going to build the foundation, aren't we? We're going to be running mm. hard through that middle third so that our exciting backs can do their thing. So yeah, certainly need that punch up front. 
Uh, staying with uh, signings by the Dragons, the Dragons NRLW side have inked a deal with Emma Tonegato. Uh, she was a Wollongong uh, junior. Um, she played a junior footy with the Helensburg Tigers. So I know that's going to keep Potsy pretty happy, um, but more people would probably know her um, in her time with the Australian Sevens. She won a uh, gold medal over there at the um, Tokyo Olympics, or won, won some games over there at the Tokyo Olympics and uh, also represented at the previous Olympics back in 2016. So um, yeah, she brings some real class with her and said she wants to test herself in the NRLW, the, the premier women's competition in, in rugby league. Always great to see juniors come back home, Potsy, and I think Emma's going to be a nice little signing for Jamie Soud and his coaching staff. And intrigued to see how this Dragon side matches up when they eventually get out there in February. Yeah, this is exciting news. This one with uh, Emma Tonegato, a bit of a homecoming of of such, as you mentioned, she's a local junior here from the Illawarra and uh, the mighty Helensburg Tiger Lilies, uh, a member of their team as well. But she was approached a little while ago, just before the last Olympics, to come back to rugby league and play again because she was a, a former Gillaroo before she'd actually gone across and joined into the, the rugby system. So she spent eight years in that rugby system, as you mentioned, played in two Olympics, got to win a gold medal, but now she's going to test the waters now as a rugby league player in the NRLW and she'll certainly be invaluable for coach Jamie Soward and also could be a very handy replacement at fullback for Sam Bremner, who Mm. on another note, she became a mum for the second time just yesterday as well. So congratulations to Sam and Wayne Bremner on the on the birth of their daughter Lakey. Um, Exciting news for them, but obviously needing a replacement there at fullback. And I think Emma Tonegato is the girl to be there at the back of the field for the Dragons in the NRLW. Potsy, we spoke a little bit earlier about the size that the Dragons probably lack it, and one player that is certainly going to help in that department is uh, George Burgess. There were some images that were released by the Dragons' social media team over the weekend, seeing George back and running. He's had this really, I guess, almost high-tech, very kind of um, crazy surgery on on his hip, for lack of a lack of a better word, to, that's going to try and see him come back. He's 29. We've spoken about him on the podcast before, Potsy. 29 is generally when uh, props start to really develop. If he could even and just recapture half of the, the form that he had when he was at, at the Rabbitohs before he went across uh, to, to Wigan. Uh, it'll be really valuable for, for the Dragons, but his size, it's, uh, that's going to be unmatched and exciting to see how he goes for the Red V. Yeah, isn't it? And talking about size, currently tipping the scales at 129 kilos, mm. big George Burgess. And uh, look, he is, as they say famously, he's training the house down at the moment. He's actually teamed up with Baymed. So it's a, a physiotherapy company here in Wollongong that do a lot of um, conditioning and fitness training as well on the side. Uh, one of their physios, Dan Lawson, is actually the physio for the Dragons as well. So a little bit of a connection there. So for anyone looking to to catch up and probably follow the story of George Burgess, you can see some of the stuff there on Baymed socials, uh, B-A-I-M-E-D, Baymed, um, doing some some really good stuff there. But yeah, look, the whole story of this hip surgery. So what we're hearing is no one has ever made a comeback into rugby league after having this type of surgery. So basically what they've done is he's had a resurfacing of his hip. So they've taken the top of the femur, they've shaved it off and they put a steel cap on top of that and then also put in a metal cup as well into his hip mm. that acts as the socket. Like it is just unbelievable that he's got able to run. So he's been back uh, running the last four weeks. I think it's yeah, four weeks that he's been back running. But in a recent interview, I heard that he's looking to be back in contact by December. So mm. he certainly set some really big goals. And um, yeah, look, I'd love to see him achieve those goals and I'd love to see him run out in, in the big red V jersey because, as we said before, we need some punch up front. We need some forwards with some good go forward. 
and George Burgess can certainly provide that if he can get through this um this preseason. So fingers crossed for all the Dragons fans and and for George himself that that he gets through. It's going to be an exciting off season for sure. With the the boys uh, heading back, we've already head ba- headed back to a preseason training, and with some of the boys on train and trials, and George Burgess along with with Jaden Sewer and a, a few of the other um, exciting uh, signings that have, uh, have have penned deals with the Dragons for for twenty twenty two. It is uh, going to be an exciting off season. And our last bit of uh, news that we're going to take a look at, uh, Potsy, is uh, in regards to a bit of a rumour, the Mole uh, kind of saying um, earlier this afternoon, the Dragons are actually keeping tabs on French uh, test prop, um, Paul Seguer for 2023. The Dragons have a, bit, a fair bit of cap room for 2023. Uh, He's a no-nonsense forward. He uh, recently uh, played pretty well against the English in uh, their international test match. He can also play in the back row. Uh, it's, it's a lot of hearsay with a lot of these rugby league journos, Potsy, but uh, it's another one just to keep tabs on in in the coming months. Yeah, and I think it's just another piece of this big jigsaw puzzle that they're trying to put together at the Dragons. And I guess the the footy nerd in me, I'm loving this backstory of how they're going to try and piece this all together. So we're starting to get a little bit of depth there as well in some of our positions. So obviously that flows down into our New South Wales Cup competition team and, and coach Russ Aiken back again, coach for that team again next season as well. But it's very exciting to see how this is all going to come together. And if we can jag a person like Paul to come into the club as well, mm. um, again, around his size and being in that prop forward position is something that we currently need. I think this could be an outstanding signing. So if the mole's on the money, that would be great to know. Um, but I guess it's a real watch this space type thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, plenty of uh, cap room for the Dragons. They'll be hoping that they can uh, be using that money wisely to try and bring, bring some real uh, playmakers and difference makers into the Red V in coming years. So we'll keep tabs on that one as the months roll on. That wraps up all of our Dragons news and updates for this week, folks. If you, there's something we may have missed or you want to talk to us more about something you've heard, please do send us an email, redvpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to take our first break here on the Red V Podcast. On the other side of that, we're going to play part one of our chat with Russell Cox. He was graded by St. George in 1968 as a 16-year-old. Russell, he went on to play 64 games for the St. George Dragons, including playing in that famous 1971 grand final against maybe one of the most famous uh, and toughest South Sydney sides ever. He talks about having, uh, I guess, to rake as a hooker against George Piggins and playing uh, with the likes uh, of Graham Langlands um, and also Billy Smith, playing under um, also the famous coach Jack Gibson, uh, as well as going up and coaching up in the Newcastle comp and being a New South Wales country rep. Really hope you enjoyed the chat. That's coming up next with Russell Cox here on episode 94 of the Red V Podcast. Welcome back to the Red V Podcast. Jack Clifton with you, and we're continuing our interview series today, something we did uh, extensively last year and uh, now starting to chat to both people from the St. George and Illawarra clubs. And today we have a special chat with Russell Cox, who played uh, with St. George in the late 1960s and into the 1970s. He was a, a New South Wales country representative in 1978 and he was part of a few St. George sides that made it all the way uh, to the grand final. Ended up playing a total of 62 matches for St. George and Russell's been kind enough to jump on the podcast and chat about his career. Looking forward to chatting with him. Russell, how are you doing this morning, mate? Very well. Thank you, Jack. And thank you very much for inviting me on. 
Absolute pleasure to be uh, chatting with you, Russell. As I said just off air, it's exciting to get to chat to some of the guys that run around in the in the 1970s, as you did with St George, playing plenty of football with uh, with the Red V. When you look back on your time at the the Dragons, and you spent close to a, a decade at the club, uh, what what memories are kind of evoked from your time at St George, and and I guess playing and training at Cogra Oval? Well, the first talk about training, the first player I'll have to talk about is Kenny Boothroyd. Mm. Probably one of the greatest trainers we've ever had and what a brilliant man. I know he's passed away, but by geez, he was a good um, trainer. So I guess, Russell, starting back at the the beginning um, of your life, could you give me a bit of background about, uh, I guess, your childhood and growing up and um, when you first got into to rugby league as a young bloke? All right. Growing up, I was uh, born at Marlong up in near Orange. Uh, in the late 50s, uh, dad and mum moved to Colton with my sister and brother. And from there I went to Colton Central and Cogra High. Um, then um, it went to football. Like my dad played football up at Bathurst and Orange and that. So we uh, joined a club called Bexar SL. So out of that come one player, which I think uh, a lot of people with St George will know, was Stephen Edge. Mm. Stephen Edge and I played together for a couple of years and um, he moved to uh, the boat rowers at Tempe and I went to Oakley Renier. Out of that, I met a lot of footballers who played grade and I played against a lot of junior players that played grade. And um, that's the growing up years uh, of starting to play football and it was just something that we played in the park every day. Um, Bruce Starkey used to play in the park with us. He was a lot younger. Yeah. Um, my brother and his mates would play uh, every afternoon, and there was just a lot of bloody football. You spoke about, I guess, moving from Orange to Carlton early um, or early on in your in your life, Russell. What was what was Carlton like? In, I guess in the late nineteen fifties and, and early nineteen sixties. Well, I can remember we had Dad bought the first TV in the street. It was a park. Oh lane. wow. <laughs> Black and white, and um, look at it, carefree. Look, we you you walked the streets, you played, went up to the parks, you played. You didn't have any problems. Um, it was just we, because and I, we'd walk from Carlton to Hurstville and gather the pictures and have Chinese and walk home at ten o'clock at night. It was just a carefree time, and we every now and again you go back to the bush um, and you go shooting and trapping and that. Mm. And because I've got a lot of relations at Bathurst and Orange. And, um, it, yeah, it was just a fun, full holiday type atmosphere. I guess growing up and once you moved into the St. George area, Russell, were you one of those young guys or a teenager that, that watched St. George a lot? Did you spend much time at Cogra Oval watching, watching St. George throughout the, the 1960s, which was a pretty, pretty good time if you were a St. George fan? <laughs> yes, look, uh, my, my father was very St. George. Uh, I can remember going down there, mate. I still do it. I did it after when I finished uh, playing the games at first grade with St George. We'd sit down, we'd either have a pie or a hot dog uh, while the game was on. And it's funny, you know, after I played first grade or reserve grade or third grade, I'd come out. The first thing I'd do, I'd get the vendor and I'd get two hot dogs. <laughs> hot sauce on it. It was, yeah, and I still do it. 
You spoke about, um, I guess, starting to play rugby league as, uh, as a young bloke, and that obviously has progressed into you uh, playing first grade uh, with the Dragons, and we'll get into that uh, in, a, in a moment, Russell. But what was it? Was there anything, I guess, specific about rugby league that really drew you to the game that kept you wanting to play all throughout your, your 20s and into your 30s? Well, I'm gonna, I'll give you a bit of a history on going from uh, school to like third class, four class, mm. up to first year, is that um, – uh, I wasn't a real good student at school. I'm completely dumb. I'd say. <laughs> uh, Fridays was my afternoon, and there was a teacher at Colton, who was Mr. Tressida, and he made sure that I was on the side. We used to walk down to the uh, near Jubilee Oval, Colton South, and there was a guy down there called uh, Johnny Stathers. He was a uh, five acres in Georgia. Mm. He was the um, sportsmaster, and I can remember going out and playing football against him, and we used to beat him. And from that, uh, I moved on to Cogra High, where Bruce Stark, you know, a few of the boys went to school and that. As I said, they were a couple of years younger, but there was a, a head um, sportsmaster there, and he walked up and he asked me why I wasn't playing the sport. And I said, well, I was getting detention too much because I was just useless at school. <laughs> got me into football. And it turned out that uh, years later that I played against him at Cronulla and it was a Cronulla front rower. And I, the name, forget, I forget his name just now, but he was a big, tall, blonde little guy. But, yeah, from there, yeah, I went to representative. And I guess from, from, from that, did you – I guess when you were when you were growing up and when you were, were playing football at such a young age, did you uh, did you feel that you could kind of make something out of it, or was it just not? Did that not come into the thought process back back then? Well, no, I think the whole family was uh, sports minded because I can remember we like I, my mother was absolutely a fanatic on rugby league and loved watching us play mm. and made sure we did get out there and play. And like we'd wake up. From the day one, uh, all our clothes would be ironed and put on the bed. Like you go down to your your boots were cleaned, your socks were cleaned, your costumes, your pants, your jumper, your shoulder pads, your mouth guard if you wore one, was all sudden put on the bed and then you loaded into your bag and off to the game. You didn't have to worry about anything. She did that all for us. And up until she, I got married. And then when I got married, my darling wife took out that <laughs> as, as they do. I guess it would be remiss, um, Russell, to, not to mention your brother, Barry, who obviously played first grade rugby league as well. Was there uh, many battles in the backyard between uh, you and Barry when you, you boys were growing up? No, Barry and I got on pretty well. That's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I do remember one game when he – and. Once again, I'm jumping ahead, but he played with Newtown fullback and he came through the forwards and I, well, here he goes. I, I let one fly and I just got him on the top of the forehead. <laughs> Put him down, but mum wouldn't talk to me for a week. Oh, I don't, I don't blame her, Russell. <laughs> well, she said you shouldn't do that to your brother. I said, well, he shouldn't be running through the forwards. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I guess so moving from um, – I guess the the early period of your life to to uh, uh, I guess a, a bit of a young bloke as an eighteen year old when you you were graded by St George in nineteen sixty eight. I guess it's a bit of a it's a foreign concept to Dragons fans and rugby league fans these days because there's kids getting plucked out of country towns and regional areas at, at 13, 14, 15 and being put in development squads. The whole grading system was very different to to what we have now. Can you explain explain uh, and give a bit of background of what that process was like and and what actually happened with you being graded? 
to buy St George in 1968? Okay, so I've got to go back a bit before that, mate. Yeah, sure. Uh, I was only 16 when I got graded, and there was there was another guy called Kevin Gibson, and he actually played. If you go back in the history of it, he actually played two first grade games. But there is another story behind that. If you ever call for him, he'll probably tell you about it. But um, uh, growing up, I was, to get graded, uh, I played for the New South Wales Australian Schoolboys at Tempe. And um, from there, I met a guy called Paul Broughton. And he co- he had a coaching school with St George. And uh, there was about 20 players, I'd say. We'd go down on a Saturday or Sunday morning for an hour or two hours. And he had put us through a, a training program. And with that, he would invite first grade players to come and show us how to kick, pass. Mm. Um, uh, Keith Holman was one guy who came down. Oh, yeah. I I couldn't believe how knowledge he was, but what he said, he said, like, when you go out to play, these guys can actually hurt you if they want to. But if you give respect, you'll you'll get respect. And um, I lived that all the way through my life, except to one day where I grabbed Mark Harris. Mm. So, yeah, so with Paul, he got the coaching school going and from there we went to uh, the tryouts at Jubilee Oval and there'd be 200 kids there. Yeah, wow. And they'd all be getting games and all that. And from there I got to play in a big trial at Canterbury and it was a second half of a third grade trial and just remembering there would have been about four, five third grade trials Yep. And uh, so we decided we'd go up to the pub just up from Canterbury Oval and have some lunch. And next thing they're up after us and say, no, the players haven't turned up. So we had to go down. We had to play three trials. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's another part. But from that, um, Paulie Broughton came to me and said to me, this Barry Cox is a relation. I said, it's my brother. So we are fortunate enough to look into the um, the paper, which came out on a, a Monday, Tuesday, and you'd look in it. If your name's there, you went back to train on the on the Wednesday or Thursday night, which our names were there, and from that we got graded. So, um, and and what they did is that they you'd go back to your club, and they'd invite you down to train. And this is where I got to know a lot of players like Gazzo, which come out of Renown, which I ended up playing mm. for. Um, Billy Smith, um, Eddie Lumsden, uh, Ian Walsh, uh, Ken Carney. You know, like mm. I, I met, I met so many of the immortal St George players. Like they had ten of uh, international playing and five state players playing first grade. But um, when I got to third grade, my first coach was Papa Clay. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, well, well, his attitude, he said, I'm not coaching third graders. He said, I'm coaching reserve grader. And you go, well, shit, you know, like, we're playing third grade. He said, no, you're playing reserve grade because if you put enough pressure on a reserve grade, that's where you're going to play. Yeah. And the reserve grade attitude was, well, we're playing first grade. And um, they, they were capable of playing first grade. And that was the attitude. They, they made you want to play above yourself all the time. And the only trouble is that you had blacks like Billy Smith and Langlands and mm. in, in, in these sides that you had to sit back and wait for them to have a rest or get hurt to get in there. But once you get in there, mate, you made your mark. What, what was it like, I guess, coming to the club just after that great run had, uh, had, had finished and, and I guess being around these guys that are almost held like in, in godlike status at the moment for what they did uh, for St. George and, and, and for the game? Was it 
did you kind of have to pinch yourself to be around those guys, particularly the likes of, of Reg Gaznier and Eddie Lumsden and Popper Clay and, and those guys that have done so much in rugby league? Well, you wouldn't believe it, mate. They're, they're, they're just human beings. Like, mm. they sit down and they talk to you. But it's uh, like I can remember when I first – I don't think I ever got a big head playing with St George or that because, you know, like – I, I I don't like crowds, but if I can sit on one on one with people like you, Jack, mm, yeah, I can I can talk about rugby league and like and that, it took me thirty years, like from the seventy seven grand final, to get to that premiership ring. But I freely show people it and um, let them put it on and let them take photos. I take photos with people, but um, and in saying that, people say to you like. You're a fool playing football. I said, well, no, I'm not. I said, because I got paid. Use of the fools because you paid to watch me play. That's <laughs> yeah. something that I really, really enjoyed. And my mother thoroughly enjoyed it because on so many occasions you'd be walking off at half time, and she'd be up in the green centre, she'd be over it. She'd look out say, Coxie, you shouldn't be wearing them boots. You're not good enough. But, yeah, God. But she used to get when, when you um, played your, your first grade career or um, your career at St. George, if I'm not mistaken, Russell, you, you played both prop and hooker. Were they the positions that you played when you were uh, growing, up, uh, growing up as a bit of a, a young bloke? And I guess, did you have a, a favoured position out of those two? Well, yeah, well n- no, I didn't. I wasn't a hooker and I wasn't a prop. I went to uh, the New South Wales um, school side as a lock forward 5'8". Uh, it was only by accident that I got a game. I actually had a game of reserve grade and there was a guy in there playing first grade. He was a brilliant footballer, but he, he the players playing first grade were just a little bit better called Dickie Breen. Mm. Anyway, you go on his stats, he's played first grade and all that. And he actually looked after me and he took me under the wing for a couple of years because as I said, I, I went there when I was 16 and um, 17. And I can remember, and you you talk about players, I can remember when I um, played in the 71 grand final. And that was my first grade debut. Oh, so really? I, I ran out there. Uh, I had no idea. And all I wanted to do was look up in the stand. And I knew where mum and dad would sit and look up and look at mum and dad. Mm. Um I've got good memories of it and bad ones. Georgie Pickett raking the ball off me with two minutes to go wasn't real happy. Mm. But uh, that's when they scored the try. But um, and, I st- and I still talk to Bob McCarthy every now and again and I spoke to Sattler, uh, Georgie Pickens and all that. And, we're, and like out of this, I've, I've got a real a lot of friends and mates that I'll have forever. Mm. Um, it's... It, um, yeah, too. So running out in that grand final was um, a big shock because I played third grade, uh, reserved for the reserve grade, and I actually got dressed and was ready to go home. And they came and got me and said, no, you got to go and get your jumper. So I had to go back to Canterbury and get the, um, the jumper back off the guy I swapped with then put it on and when I got over there, they changed jumpers anyway. But, yeah, you go over and Jack Gibson um, made the decision to put me on for Graham Bell. What was what was Jack like the planter? Because we know that he had such an illustrious coaching career, and what he did with Parramatta was it was incredible. People kind of forget that he got St George to a to a, to a grand final. What was I guess you you probably didn't have uh, had much to do with Jack prior to that that game. But what was what was Jack like as a coach and uh, as a human being? Jack as a human being, a lovely man, uh, 
as a, as a football coach, um, I'll give you. I can do a little story on Jack. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we were playing a game of Jubilee Oval, and just before half time, I, I kicked the ball, and things didn't happen, and the opposition scored a try to miss the goal. So we go in, and we're sitting down, and I'm just sitting there and having a drink, and no one's really talking to you, and I let Jack come over and sat down beside me. He said, "Well, son." you know what you did wrong? And I looked at him and I said, yeah, Jack, I do. And he got up and walked away on me. It would have been probably 10 years later, 10, 12, 15 years later at mm. St. George's Beach Club. And he was calling to Billy and Langlands and that. And I walked out and I excused myself and I said, Jack, do you want to have a conversation? Because this worried me. Anyway, um, he said, what's wrong, Coxie? I, I said, um, going back to that game at Jubilee Over, I kicked the ball. He said, yeah. That. And he and he remembered everything. He had a brilliant memory. Mm. And I said, you know, I said, you sat down beside me. You said to me, well, son, you know what you did wrong? And I said, yeah. And you got up and walked away on me. I said, why? He said, well, you're one player. He said, there's 12 other players. They might be doing things they don't know. He said, I don't want to waste time on you. And it was so simple. Mm. And, that's, and that's how he was with his life and all that. But when you sat down and had a conversation with him, which wasn't very long, you felt like you could run through a brick wall for him. And yeah. you, you just give your life and soul to him. Yeah. He's a lovely man. I had a lovely home at Cronulla. Uh, been there, was invited there. Um, yeah, he, such a lovely person. If we can revisit the 1971 uh, grand final again, uh, Russell. So that was your, your first grade debut. And I, I guess a pretty big day, as you just touched on previously before, playing the third grade at grand final, then being a reserve for the reserve grade side and and then obviously being sitting on the bench for, for first grade. Do you remember what you were kind of feeling as you were sitting down there? I think 60-something thousand at the Sydney ground against South, a, a great rivalry that South and St. George have had for such a for such a long time. Do you remember your emotions, I guess, before you got the call to, to run out and, and play first grade for St. George? Well, it's funny now because you're sitting down watching the reserve grade. Like we lost the third grade at Canterbury. Um, we were, the reserve grade were getting beaten. You go, oh, geez, you like that. Anyway, so you go in, you have your shower and get ready and all that. And all of a sudden, you get called over to the first grade. And, oh, yeah, okay. And you look, you, you, you know yourself, look, I've got no chance of playing in this. Yeah. So you go in and go, well, okay, you put your feet up in quite a good position and you're watching it. And like the, they were going really good, the George and that. And um, I think it was 1 0 at half time. Um, and it, um, they really had uh, an opportunity to go out there and blow South away. And um, I can remember sitting down, and next thing, Axed, who was one of our trainers, came in and he said, come on, I've got to rub you down. I said, what for? He said, you're going on. Oh, and wow. From that, yeah, from that moment, um, going down the stairs, uh, walking out the Sydney Creek ground, I was numb. Uh, mm. at, um, and when I looked up onto the scoreboard and saw my name, I'm going, Jesus, that's great. Yeah. But many years later, when you get the uh, 71, I, I got the 71 grand final replay, uh, they had uh, commentators up there, and I was very fortunate that they called me Barry Cox. I <laughs> wonder why how a fullback and reserve guy can come out and play uh, front row in the first grade. But, yeah, so – and that was, and I, and I think at that stage I was playing hooker for the third grade. Mm. 
Mm. So you, you came up against some real champion forwards, not just of that era, but probably in the history of rugby league. When you you look at some of the great forwards, um, I think John Sattler and uh, Bob McCarthy, John O'Neill, Ron Coote probably fit into um, fit into into that bracket. What was it like, and what memories do you have? I guess running and tackling tackling those guys for the for that that second half in in the grand final. Okay, if you want to just talking about tackling, and that's one thing that I prided myself on because. Uh, the late Bobby Fulton, uh, I actually got a, received a letter about this, but uh, he, when Jubilee over playing Manly, I picked him up and um, I spear-tackled him. And um, I've got a photo of it. And um, The only legal way to hurt someone was in a tackle. So yeah. they taught him to tackle. And, like, if you hit him right, the legs go up, the body just goes back. But um, unbeknownst to a lot of people, and we're talking still on tackling, is that I am in, I am in the Rugby Hall, Hall of Fame. Oh, really? Yes. So don't get excited. Okay. What, it is, <laughs> what it is is that um, I've got the magazine here because I've got a scrapbook and I kept it. My mum started, my wife kept it, is that um, I'm tackling Arthur Beetson. And the guy's taking a photo of my face and Arthur passing the ball. And this is the photo they had and they hung up. But it's been behind him when they, they're present, doing a presentation of the Rugby Hall of Fame. So I'm actually in there. And people won't know who I am, but I'm actually yeah. in there. I'm very proud of that. That's good. <laughs> and if you like, I can send you on a copy to you. Oh, that would be fantastic. I'd love to, love to get a look at, look at that. Any way you can get in the Hall of Fame, Russell. doesn't matter how you get there, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right, and it's like, and and you go back to like forwards and players, and like, like yeah, little blokes like Bunny Riley. You got um, Paulie Saint. Uh, as I said, you got the blokes from South and all that. But you got Arthur Beats and and it was Brian Norton. Um, like when he was leaving uh, North Sydney, Langland said to Facer, "We don't want him playing against us. He's too big and too fast. He'd much better play with us." So, going back to when I played prop and Stephen Edge come up, which we, as I said, Steve and I grew up together. Mm. Uh, I had so many props on the open side and you can go through you there. Like Harry Eden, Abbasite Tiger, Brian Norton, Graham Bowen. Um, and it, the list just goes, Barry Beath. And the list goes on and on and on. But my main job was that when Steve put his head in that scrum, that, and, I, and, and I think, he, well, he knows it too, that I would not let anyone go and hear him or hurt him, but yeah, so, but he was always blind as a bat. And another prop is um, Henry Tarner, and Henry Tarner would always say, when he put his arm around him, when the ball came in, Henry used to squeeze him around the waist so he could throw his foot out so he knew the ball was coming. But um, yeah, well, look, I played with and against some of the biggest and best forwards, but the difference is too is that these guys went out there for 80 minutes. Mm. Uh, un, un, unlike today, you go out there for 10, 15 minutes and you have a rest, or 20 minutes you have a rest. These guys went out there and they were out there like, like, like John sat playing with broken jaws. Like, yeah. Like, they, yeah, John Bucknell did that. Like, and yeah, Billy Smith going out and breaking an arm at the Sydney Cricket Ground early season. Then he won the grand final for the George in the third grade by himself, not, not taken away from the players who played around him, by the way. But, like, then jumping back to when I played juniors, like, Marcus Schumann I played against, uh, Bruce Starkey, um, there's, there's a dozen players that played 
in that 77 grand final that were all out of juniors, and I think they were one of the best proper juniors that St George ever had. In 1971, and I guess onto the the next few years where you played a lot more first grade, uh, Russell rugby league obviously was not professional in the in the terms of uh, players getting to train like they do now and getting paid and not having to, to work. What were you doing for a crust uh, in the 1970s while you're running around for St George? Okay, in the 1970s, I was married. Uh, my wife was pregnant. <laughs> Excuse me, with my with our first daughter Natalie, and. My parents, I've just got to jump. My parents never believed in buying a house. Mm. We rented. Anyway, um, we were renting at Oakley, and when I got married, my, we had a little place at um, Mordell. The gentleman's name was Mr. Lamb. We rented off him. But my wife went out and we bought a unit at Kempsey, and I got a job at Utilax as a maintenance welder. Mm. So I worked there for eight hours a day. And from that, uh, we'd train three times a week. So I'd drive home, get shower, get ready, then go and train for three hours with uh, St George. And then we'd come home. I'd get home right up, uh, stay nine o'clock, and plan to be ready, pregnant, and I'm talking very pregnant. And mm. we'd go to Newtown and we'd clean doctor surgeries until half past one, two o'clock in the morning. Wow. So I had three jobs. And that was to pay the second mortgage off. Yeah. yeah. So Life, life, it was hard. Um, uh, the elite players, they they did get good money. They got houses. Yeah. Uh, but being being classified as a, a junior, uh, yeah, they did look after you. And if you like, I could tell you one story. I'm making theory on this. Is that I went from first grade back to reserve for third grade in a matter of quite a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was because we were doing the cleaning that uh, I was just physically and mentally buggered. Yeah. So what happened is that I was called in front of the the selectors and that, faces there, and they asked me what the problem was. I said, I'm, I'm just tired and it's personal. And face it cleared the room and he said, what's wrong? I said, well, I'm paying off a second mortgage and it's, it's difficult and it's hard. Um, he said, um, make an appointment with the – Bank, he said, which bank? I said, the Commonwealth at Mordell. So I made an appointment anyway for the next week and I couldn't get on the Monday. I had a good Tuesday at half past three, which we arrived. And we went in and sat down and he asked for the uh, paperwork on the second mortgage and there was $2,800 I had to pay off it. Mm. And he wrote a check hand to the manager. Wow. And he came out and he said, no more night work. Yeah. So, so the story there gets becomes a bit better, is that at the end of the year when we got paid, Frank, you come around and you'd be at St. George, he's going to hand out a, a letter to you and you, your check would be in that and all your payments and games. Yeah. When I got mine and opened it up, first grade, reserved for first grade, um, second grade, reserved for second grade, third grade, reserved for third grade, uh, signing on and that, and that money wasn't deducted. Mm. So... I went up and I saw Frank, and you knocked on the door and went in and he said, "What? What's going on?" I said, "There's a problem." He went, and got the details out of me. He said, "They this, 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 this." I said, "Yeah, it matches up." I said, "But um, the money for that's the check you wrote out for the bank." And he said, "No, Russell, that's between me and you." I said, "Yeah, well." Wow. And that what made Frank Face a brilliant man, and that's what made St George a brilliant club and team. 
because I, I guess when you when you look through the history books, particularly with St George, but maybe in the game of rugby league, Frank Fa- Frank Facer will go down as the greatest administrator, having been in charge with Saints winning those eleven premierships. But anyone that's read the the Never Before Never Again book by St George, it's absolutely incredible how he was able to keep uh, players to the, those players together and not let egos clash. And I guess that's just a great example of what a not just what a great administrator he was, but what a what a great person he was, Frank. Well, that's exactly right. Like, he was a brilliant man. He, he spoke to you uh, and all that. But the thing that I realised, too, is that when these 11 grand finals and these players were playing first grade and playing international, that, that some of these guys had baker runs. So mm. you could you could be at the first grade, um, Nick Hunter or whoever, pulling up and coming in and giving you your bread for, for the day. You're like, they were human beings. And one big thing Changa did with us, which they did, was that if they played on a Saturday, Sunday, they all got together, they had a barbecue, we sat down, had a few drinks and all that, and we, we spoke and we become a unit. Today, it doesn't happen. Mm. It, like, it, uh, they just, everyone was kept together. And I remember when I when I went in Changa, we used to go down to the other side of Todd Park at Bakers, and um, we get in there and we'd have uh, barbecues and that. We'd go out to Cornell and sit down out there and have um, barbecues and sit back. And there's not first graders. There's not reserve graders, not third graders. Mm, just everyone. But, go, but going back to first grade, at Jubilee Oval, there's two dressing rooms. Well, there was two dressing rooms, and in between there was an office. If you were a third reserve grader, you had the one on the left-hand side. You weren't allowed to go into the first-grade grand final, uh, first-grade um, dressing room. That was for first graders. Mm. When you got there, then you found out the reason why is that they treated you like gold. And yeah, uh, it's just uh, the individual uh, they took you as you were and treated you great, made sure everything was comfortable, and yeah, the. Yeah, it was look, I, I, as I say to people, I played for St George. I'm sorry to say, but I didn't play for St George at mm, That's um, right. Yeah, so I, well, all my jumpers are St George. Yeah, so I love the Red League. Make sure you tune in next week on the Red V Podcast for part two of our chat with Russell. He loves a yarn. He loves a story. And hopefully you enjoyed a couple of those uh, stories uh, from his uh, childhood, but also his first grade career with the St. George Dragons. A big thanks to Russell for giving up his time to chat to us here on the Red V Podcast. Time for us to take a look at your fans' corner questions for this week. And the first question we've got is an audio question from Tim Boucher. And this is what Tim had to ask myself and Potsy here on the Red V Podcast. Hey, Jack and Johnny, hope you guys are having a great day. Uh, my question is in regards to the Dragons back row and their recruitment. Um, next year, it looks like they have the likes of uh, Sims, Jack Bird, uh, Jack DeBellin and Jaden Sewer. There's four guys there for three spots. Uh, Sims has been told he can move on, uh, which seems like those three guys sort of slot into that uh, that, that back row, the, the lock and the second row positions. Uh, but apparently we're, we're chasing Nia Cora from Parramatta pretty hard, who's a starting level player and also will interested in kick out from the Panthers. Um, the Dragons have let Jack Bird hit the open market. Is this possibly an indicator that he might be on the outer at the Dragons and not part of their future plans? Or do you think it means that maybe Jaden Sewer or, or Jack DeBella move to prop next year? 
Uh, just interested in your take, guys. Thanks very much. Have a great one. So a few thought-provoking questions there from, from Tim in regards to the Dragons back row. Potsy, you've obviously got Jaden Sewer who's come in and we're thinking that he's going to play one edge position. You've also got Tarek Sims, Jack DeBellin, um, Jack Bird. Um, Tim mentions that, yeah, Jack Bird's kind of hit the open market because as of yesterday, um, players that weren't locked down are, are free to negotiate with, with other clubs. Do you see that more as um, Jack Bird potentially moving on or the, the Dragons just maybe doing their due diligence and taking a bit of time to kind of sign off contract? So I imagine with all the players that are currently kind of coming off contract or at least kind of negotiating um, with uh, with the Dragons, you, w- you would think there's some kind of conversations uh, happening. What do you make of, I guess, Jack Bird, where he fits with the Dragons side and, and the Dragons back row as well, Potsy? Yeah, it, it, again, it's just this big puzzle that I'm, I'm loving seeing take shape. And I think it just adds another piece of the equation, doesn't it, on, on the depth that we've currently got. And I guess it creates competition for positions within the team as well. So when we've got that internal competition for spots within the team, we're going to see guys performing week in and week out. So I think it's fantastic. How it's going to be worked, I don't know. This is a fantastic headache for Coach Anthony Griffin and assistant coach Matt Head as well and the rest of the Dragons coaching staff. And then you think as well that um, we also got Big Curry, um, Josh Kerr, that had played on an edge as well during the season that he could fit in to a back row spot as well. So, um, yeah, look, a fortune of riches, isn't it, Mm. for the Dragons? And and I honestly don't know how they're going to shape this back row and edge um, for next season, but I think it's a fantastic spot to be in. And finally, we're starting to create some of that depth and some of that competition for positions within the team. I don't know that we'll have mm. a dead set certainty team week in, week out. There's um, plenty of players to pick from now. Yeah, Stephen Penford also asked um, a similar question, Potsy, there with uh, competition's going to be great in the Ford Pack next year with the new additions. Where do you see Jack Bird fitting in? Uh, number 13, if so, what about JDB or um, will uh, wh- where will he play or maybe from the bench? Not a bad problem to have in, in my opinion. I think Jack DeBellin probably still is going to be the, the 13. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Jack Bird slots onto a, a bit of an edge like he did last year. I, I think he's probably doesn't quite have the speed in the legs to, to be a 25-week a centre. I think he can probably fill in there if there's injuries, and I think that adds more versatility to the Dragons' side, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Jaden Sua and and Jack Bird in those second-row positions, Jack DeBellin locking the scrum, and then I know there's been a lot of talk about Tarek Sims um, with his form for the Dragons, and obviously um, uh, him being shopped around to other clubs. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised to see him coming off a bench, but who are we? We're, myself and Potsy are just fans just theorising a what about what might potentially happen. We don't really know, but I wouldn't be surprised if if the, the 11, 12, and 13 lined up like that for the Dragons um, in 2022. We only have one other question on the Fans Corner section, and it's from Martin Brito. And Martin Brito says... Hey guys, when are the boys starting preseason next week? Question mark. I was under the assumption, Potsy, and you might not even know the answer to this, but I was under the assumption that they would return from November one. I did see. Tyro Fumiono, um, Jaden Sullivan, and also um, Zach Lomax doing a bit of uh, kicking training, general kicking, but also goal kicking training uh, last week. So I would say if they haven't already resumed preseason training, it, it would probably be sometime next week that players start start to return, and some of the representative players might even come a little bit a little bit later um, than that with the Dragons not having a, a whole lot of internationals in in their squad. Uh, have you heard any word about when preseason officially kicking off for the Red V Potsy? 
Yes, you're right in the fact that November 1 is the start date, so it is the new year for the the calendar year for Rugby League right across the board. Um, So the coaching staff and some players did return back on Monday, yesterday, and it will be a staggered approach. So we've obviously got the rehabbers, the guys that have had surgery, that are coming back, that have obviously got to do the conditioning on the field, or if it's in the gym on the bikes and the rowers and the grinders and that sort of thing. And then obviously moving into those players that have probably had a bigger season where they've played full 80 minutes or they've gone and played representative games, they'll be coming over the the following week. So look to see by November 16 onwards, the full squad will be back, ready for a massive pre-season and obviously a season that the Dragons really want to be successful in. And what success looks like, I'm not sure. But as fans, definitely looking for a top eight spot and trying to be competitive week in, week out. Yeah, can't wait for that pre-season to start, Portsy, as we mentioned before. Lots of storylines and lots of great things to follow, and we'll do our best to try and keep you updated. We have been in a conversation with the Dragons, hoping to um, get an opportunity to go down there and let you guys know what's happening out at training and those kinds of things to, to keep you updated, but also a bit of an update on some of the players returning from injury and some of those new signings as well to see how they settle into club life uh, at the St. George Illawarra Dragons. That wraps up our Fans Corner questions for this week. If you want to get your uh, questions featured on the Red podcast. You can send in an audio question like Tim did earlier. You can uh, record it onto your phone and then email it to us at redvpodcast at gmail.com. You can also just email us your question if that's what you want to be doing, redvpodcast at gmail.com. We also do uh, put up our Fans Corner questions um, up on our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages as well. So if that interests you, uh, just drop your question in the comment section and we'll do our best to answer it. That uh, wraps up not just the Fans Corner question, but also the Red V podcast for episode 94. Potsy, great. Uh, been, uh, it's been great to be chatting uh, footy with you and Dragons footy more specifically, mate. Thanks again for, for jumping on and uh, helping us out here on the Red V Podcast, mate. As always, anytime, Jack. Loved it. Always great to have uh, Luke Potter around. He's a wealth of rugby league knowledge, particularly when it uh, is all about uh, the Illawarra region as well. as. Uh, and we'll continue to keep you updated with what's happening uh, around the Dragons over these next few months as well. Got some great interviews that are going to be continue to be featured here on the Red V podcast as well. Part two with Russell Cox next week. And then the week after that, uh, Adrian Brunker, the former Dragon um, who played uh, between 1996 and 1998 for the Mighty Red V. So make sure you don't miss any uh, upcoming episodes of the Red V podcast. But uh, um, on behalf of uh, Luke Potter, my co-colleague and myself, Jack Clifton, this has been episode 94 of the Red V podcast. We'll catch you next Tuesday night. For more of the same, go those mighty dragons. Sports Social Podcast Network.